By the way, you may have noticed when we finish a, a scripture reading, the reader often will say, the word of the Lord, or this is the word of the Lord. And you hear a few of us say, thanks be to God. Uh, that is an invitation for you if you feel so moved uh, to give gratitude for said reading. But if you do not, and you're wondering why your neighbor is saying such a thing, that is why. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. It's really good to see you this morning. Uh, we have been in town for this season, and... Uh, it's been nice to have a few days off from work, but it's really nice to gather all back together, especially when it is cold outside, and we do have a lot of our members who are kind of spread out around the country, and so for all of us to get together back together and huddle in the light, the light of Christ with us, it is a blessing. And if you are a guest with us, if you're out of town and you're here for the parade or you're here with family, then we hope that you feel at home and that you might have found family. We have been in the Gospel of Luke for the last several weeks, through Advent, and now we're in the Christmas season. So Christmas actually follows after Advent. The first four Sundays of the church year, often all four happen in December, lead up to Christmas Eve, and then the Sunday after Christmas Eve is the first Sunday of Christmas, and so we have arrived. That song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, My True Love Gave to Me, that's about this season we call Christmas Tide. Uh, so we are in the middle of it, which is why... The light of Christ is back with us in the front this morning. Now we are going to hear, and you just heard the reading this morning, from one last character in uh, the story that is sort of the birth narrative of Jesus. And this is this character, this prophet known as Anna, uh, who Corey just read for us. If you have a Bible, you could turn to Luke's Luke's account of Jesus' life. Luke's gospel is in the New Testament. If you have a paper Bible, which is now like 5% of us, then it's somewhere in the back half. If you have a phone, you just type L-U-K-E, and then it'll pop up. Chapter 2, verse 36. But there is a prelude to this section here. Uh, We've been introduced to this character named Anna. Anna is a... uh, All of the characters in Luke's gospel, the ones that show up early, are both themselves particular characters and these big characters. They mean more than just who they are, and Anna is no exception. Anna has been waiting, lonely, for quite some time. Most likely lived all of her days as a widow. Uh, It sounds like her husband died when she was quite young, and she spent her days in the temple. Now, she's been in the temple, it says she's been fasting and she's been praying. Now, when Jesus and his parents show up, Mary and Joseph, because the law stipulates they have to do a certain set of things when a child is born, so they come to do those set of things in Jerusalem, which is a journey for them. There is a man who greets them named Simeon. Simeon is also advanced in age, known as a prophet. And he's been waiting as well. So he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, for the comfort to come to them, because they have been in distress for quite some time. And as soon as he sees the child, the Holy Spirit sort of moves his vision and clarity, and he sees with his true eyes what's actually happening. It's revealed to him by the Spirit he would not see death before seeing the Lord's Messiah. So Simeon came into the temple. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for them what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, you are now dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. They continually are amazed. They know that this child is special, but it keeps shocking them. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So not great news if you're a parent. You hear the language, the heaviness of that passage? This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and will be a sign that will be opposed. So the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon has the baby Jesus in his arms. And then this other character shows him the story named Anna. She doesn't have a lot of speaking lines like Simeon. She's been waiting, paying attention, fasting, and praying. So she's been waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And the story, the way Luke tells it, is that Simeon is here sort of spilling all of this to the parents, and then Anna is present right beside him. That's the reading that we pick up this morning. She was of great age. Never left the temple, but worshipped with fasting and prayer all day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and speak about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. There is this question that's been hanging over all of this nation, this entire people known as the Israelites. And Jesus enters onto the scene as a baby, sort of taps into this expectation, which is how will God save us this time? Because they are in the middle of all of this turmoil again. We often think about the Christmas season, and this room kind of helps us think about it as a season of lift, of joy, and for good reason. Uh, the church calendar has put the season of Christmas kind of right in the middle of the darkest, coldest days so that we are reminded that the light has entered into the world. In Jesus' time, when he is born, there is a different kind of heaviness, of shadows that have cast over the world. The people are in a state where they are not living out the life God has for them. We could call this oppression or captivity or being in chains or living with the ever-present reality of, of death. And this is their condition. So they are all waiting and hoping, wondering what God's going to do this time. Now, if you know your Bible, you know your story of the way that the Lord has always been working with the Lord's people, you know that there are these patterns that develop. And the big pattern is that God saves. God's action in the world is to bring us out of a state of death and into a state of life, or out of a state of bondage and into a state of freedom. That's like it keeps happening over and over again, but always in different ways. So God saves the people from Egypt with all of these signs and wonders, and that's a very unique situation. God rescues them out of captivity in Babylon, which is a whole other set of wonders. I came across a story this week. Has anyone read the Maccabees? Raise your hand if you've read Third Maccabees. You've, do you remember it? It's crazy. 
Right? If, so there is this set of books in some Bibles known as the Apocrypha or Pseudepigraphia. There are these middle books that happen after the Old Testament but before the New Testament. If you grew up Catholic, these were likely in your Bible. One of them is Third Maccabees. And Third Maccabees is this whole other story. It's like a folklore story about how God rescues. I don't want to tell you too much about it. I wanted to tell you everything about it because it involves elephants that get drunk and stampede. And it involves a king who literally is seized by the spirit and thrown around because he tries to enter into the Holy of Holies when he's not supposed to, this sort of foreign Gentile king, it is a crazy story. But these stories were all in the mind of Mary and Joseph, of Anna and Simeon, of all of those people who had been waiting for all of these different ways that God would save them. This is the deep question we actually bring to this season of Christmas. It isn't just cute that Jesus was born into our world. We somewhere deep down believe that this changes things. And whatever our condition is, that feels out of our control, that somehow the baby Jesus is an answer to that. And whatever way God is saving us has something to do with this story. Marilyn Robinson is one of my, my favorite authors, and she writes in an essay called Wondrous Love in her book, uh, when I was a child, I read books, um, about why churches fill up at Christmas and Easter. I won't ask the question, but I could ask the question, who uh, is a Christmas and Easter kind of churchgoer, right? Because that's a thing. Ruthie's raising her hand, even though she's here literally every Sunday because she's my daughter. Uh <laughs> There could be like a cynical way to understand folks who make it to church on Christmas and Easter and no other time, but Marilyn Robinson gives, I think, a really lovely answer to this. Let me read you a quote from this essay. She says, I have a theory that the churches fill on Christmas and Easter because it's on these days that the two most startling moments in the Christian narrative can be heard again. In other words, people come to church on major holidays not solely out of a sense of social or religious propriety, but because, at least subconsciously, those are the two days when we can be assured of hearing some good news from the pulpit. That's me. As opposed to a spiritualized version of the instruction we hear from every other outlet, including the internal ones. If we sometimes feel adrift from humankind, as if our technology-mediated life on this planet has deprived us of the brilliance of the night sky, the smell and companionship of mules and horses, the plain food and physical peril and weariness that made our great-grandparents' lives so much more like the life of Jesus than any we can imagine, then we can remind ourselves that these stories have stirred billions of souls over thousands of years, just as they stir our soul and our children's. What gives them their power? It's kind of like the songs we just sang. What gives them their power? That each of you clap at the end of singing them, and you feel your souls lift in the memory that they evoke. There's a deep story here that is being told over and over again. In joy to the world and first Noel, angels we have heard on the high, or go tell it on the mountain. What gives them their power? They tell us that there is a great love that has intervened in history, making itself known in terms that are startlingly and inexhaustibly palpable to us as human beings. They are tales of love, lovely enacted once, and afterwards cherished and retold. By the grace of God, certainly, because they are, after all, the narrative of an obscure life in a minor province. 
Caesar Augustus was also said to be divine, but there aren't any songs about him. We here as Christians have accepted the stewardship of this remarkable narrative. This is how Marilyn Robinson describes this season. And so the question that we've been asking throughout this season is, what are we waiting for? What is the redemption that we so yearn for? And do we believe in the deepest recesses of our being that the Christ child is a response to that cry? It's not always a cry we even feel so brave to voice, although we should. But it is one that we know quite intimately. The parts of us that are out of joint or that have been broken for quite a long time, the relationships that won't get better, keep getting worse, the illness that just set in that tells us that we are fragile. All of those things that are always pressing in on us, the things that make your your shoulders tense up, right? Waiting for things to be made right. That's the state that Anna has been in. That's the state that Simeon was in. That's the state that the nation of Israel was in. And it is the state that we often live in. It's what drives our news. It's what drives our media. It's what drives our lives. The persistent anxiety that things are not like they are supposed to be. Now maybe in this space, we can sometimes set a little bit of that aside and take up hope and the promise that all things will be made new. But we live with this kind of knot in our chest a lot of the time. So when the story says that there's been this woman and this man who've been in the temple waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, we know what that feels like. And so then the question always is, well, then what's God going to do this time? How is God going to save us? And the strange answer is this child, this Christ child. We have come to know Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, as this big character in our lives. But at the time, Jesus was just a child in an obscure province in the Middle East to parents who were not well known, born in, like all of this, again, none of it really makes a whole lot of sense. But this is what God is up to. This is God's answer to the crisis. Presence, fragility, humanity. The story gets bigger, though. So if Luke's gospel account is the particulars of the story, then if you were to turn in your Bible to Hebrews, Hebrews is this super developed set of theology in really complicated Greek that tells the big overarching story that this version is telling in its very kind of intimate details. So I'm just going to read to you a little bit out of chapter 9. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once and for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. None of that makes any sense. That is a very strange passage of scripture, right? So here's what the author is saying. The writer is saying that Christ which is Jesus' big name. Not Jesus' last name. It's not Jesus Christ. And they had a bunch of kids named like Moses Christ and like Bartholomew Christ. But Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Anointed One. So the Anointed One, that is who's being spoken of here, came as the high priest of the good things that have come 
then through the greater and perfect tent. So there's this idea in the world, the, the, the um, earthly dwellings for God, known as the temple or the tabernacle, or you could even say this church, for instance, we hope that God is present in this place, are themselves like little replicas on the earth in our realm of the true form that is in the heavenly spaces or wherever God is in their more perfect form. And that we have been given sort of a like temporary understanding of what is an eternal reality. And so Jesus going in and out of the temple as a child and then as he grows up is inside of what we would call an earthly tent. But there is this heavenly tent that is some other space-time reality. And the Christ, this like big reality Jesus, is in that space, mediating for us in the presence of God. And it says that this one is not made with human hands, not of creation. He entered into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, because there is a holy of holies in the temple. And in that space is full of sacrifices of actual animals. But in this big reality where Christ is present to God, Christ is mediating for us, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. And the text says, thus securing for us eternal redemption, securing redemption forever. And this is how big this small story gets. It isn't just that God decided to save the Israelites, the Jewish people this way, this time with this child, but somehow what's happening in Jesus is everything. And when it begins to be understood in its fullness, which is going to take us our whole lives to get, Anna is quite old. Simeon is quite old before they're able to see the big story. Somehow our redemption is secured for all time. It's a big deal. We are often trying to figure out what the saving moment is. What is it that God has done in Jesus that has made us whole? that has brought us out of our circumstances and into something we would call new life. And if you're anything like me, you may be looking for what is like the cure. Because if we can figure out the moment, if we can figure out that instant, then we might be able to like, we could package it and sell it, guys, and then we would have, we'd be set for quite a while. I'm half joking, but churches have been after this for quite a while. What is the saving moment? And each different sort of iteration of Christianity, of following Jesus, have come up with a different answer for what saves us and what is the moment. I want to say now what Anna seemed to get then, which is it's all moments. It's at the very beginning of the story. It's all the way through Jesus' life. And it's all the way to the end and then past the end. We often use this set of phrases for Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection to hold all of this together. What is the saving moment? Well, it's all of these moments. Christmas tells us that there is something that saves us in God becoming human. We call this the incarnation. And when Anna sees the baby, she gets it. There's also saving in the dying, which we call the crucifixion. When the world visits on Jesus, 
all that it has of suffering and pain and evil and brokenness. And Jesus' response is openness. It's not a posture of fighting or a posture of defense, but one of surrender. And there's something in that move, cosmically, that saves us. And then there is this moment where Jesus takes all of that death into his person and then pushes through it and out of the grave into new life. And there is something saving in that resurrection. And it is all of these moments that we say are the good news. The whole life of Christ. Anna can see it all in this one moment. And what is her response? It's my favorite new word. In the Greek, it's anti-homologos. Anytime I see a word that's this many Greek words shoved into one, I'm going to have to tell you about it. And I really didn't think we would do like a school lesson today on the first Sunday of Christmas, but I I couldn't help it because this is such a fun word. Um, so actually, these are words that you might know, even if you don't know a lot of Greek. A homo means same, right? Uh, anti means opposite of or in front of. And then logos is the language that gets translated as word, yeah, which also gets applied to, to Jesus the Christ in John chapter 1. So what this means is something like this, uh, opposite the same word, which isn't any more clear to me. Is it any more clear to you that way? Here's where it shows up in the text. It's in Luke chapter 2. At that moment she came, Anna, and began to anti-homologos, began to praise God, and then began to speak about the child to all who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Her response to the recognition of who this child is and what this child means is this big word here, anti-homologos. It's to praise God. The way that it actually gets translated for us is something more like this. To confess or to profess. You put homo and logos together and you get this idea of of kind of like a call and response. So uh, God has spoken a word into the world and then we respond with the same kind of word into the world. And that affirms. So whenever somebody says something that's really meaningful in church, often what's the response of the congregation? Amen. Which means let it be so. And that is sort of like a homo logos. That is a speaking the same word or affirming a confession or a profession. Now, what Anna does that makes it so special, and what I'm going to ask you to do in a minute, is she says it in front of other people. There's so much about our faith that has become individual, internalized, and quite personal. But at these big moments in the scripture, when God shows up and does something... It is a public annunciation and then a public celebration. And not just from the preacher or the priest or the prophet, not just from the person who stands right here, but from the entire assembly. There's this kind of lift that happens. And so here's actually what I want to do to end 2018 together, is I just want to stop talking and I want to let you speak. Because if we truly believe this Christmas story, This story that God has shown up in flesh. That love has somehow been born in the middle of the muck and the mire. And that somehow this moment of incarnation is what is going to save us. Then our response should be loud. 
It should be in the presence of others. It should lift people because there are folks who are here waiting for the redemption of their own lives and their own story. And they need to hear what it has meant to you to encounter the living Christ. Anna's response to Jesus is public praise and confession. So, yeah, we've got enough time for this. You wish that we didn't, but we do. I even have a cordless mic. Is this on? Will it be on? Here it is. Hello, hello. Okay, so here's what we're going to do together. Because the beauty of being in church in this building together at the same time is that we are able to encourage one another. That it isn't just a monologue or a lecture from the front where we all sit here and we wait to be told the truth. But you all have experienced the living Christ in ways that are deeply intimate to your own lives. So here are the two questions and you can respond how you'd like. And I'm going to ask for people to actually respond. And I have not like seeded the room with folks to already go ahead and speak. So uh, if it seems like I have, then great. You just have a really cool congregation that you get to worship with. Um, Confession is the language of, of apology, of I'm sorry to God, of saying what we have done or what we have left undone. I'm sorry for. That's a tough one to do in public. But confession is itself a public act because you're asking for the community to carry the truth of your life with you. And then the other way you could talk about this is profession, which is I am thankful for. So I want you to think about those two things. I am sorry for or I am thankful for. You don't have to do both. You could do one or the other. And try to direct your response to God. This is you speaking the truth of God is in your life back into this community. Does that, does that make sense? That we're going to try anti-homo logos together? We could call it, uh, that we're just going to like practice what we preach. Like literally right now, we're going to practice what we preach. So I'll go first. I did see this one. Uh, I'll go first. I'll do uh, a profession of my own thankfulness. Uh, because well, it's easy in this space for what I would say. Um, there are moments in my life that are clearly God acting. There are lots of things in my life that are me acting. I'm just super proud that I crushed that thing and made this thing happen. And I'm thankful, right? Like, that's a different sort of thing. But there are moments when it is clear that God has been guiding me. And there are really three I always come back to. Um, marrying my wife makes no sense outside of God. Uh, Getting into grad school, which is, was a pretty life-changing moment for me. Again, it doesn't make any sense outside of God. And then honestly, being the pastor here at this church. Those are the three moments that seem to tag along for me that move me to gratitude. And I know, I know that those are God's provisions in my life. And when I pay attention to those moments, I can feel and see God's activity in other moments. Uh, so I... I am grateful and thankful to God. God, I'm grateful and thankful for this vocation, for this life that I get to have with these friends. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Okay, your turn. if If you're so brave, you can throw your hand up and I'll walk to you. And you might offer a gift and a blessing to this congregation. It's like Jerry Springer. It's like it's like Jerry Springer, but redeemed. (laughs) (laughs) Who would share something? Lisa, and I'm going to bring you a microphone. 
so others can hear you. Okay, well, I confess that when I'm short and stressed, I tend to lash out, but I'm thankful that God gives me prayer so that so that I can feel in touch and redeemed. Thank you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. But I knew you. So when I read Anna, I thought of you, Bunny. Here you go. And I'm so glad that you're going to share with us. I thank God that he pushed me this year into moving into a new home with Mary. It's a real praise. Thank you, God. And all God's people said, amen. It is a lovely home. Yes. Others. Hey, buddy. Buddy's our, our uh, local trumpeter. And, uh, yeah, what you got? So, um, I'd like to thank God for lifting the burden of my past systemic life and uh, showing me um, to let go of all possession of want and need. And that um, to, to surrender to my father. And I have been so blessed. Um, and so I got blessed God, even though he didn't sneeze. <laughs> uh, and there was this moment that I went through. I went through a fire that eliminated possession. And I just, my, my, I was in a state of wow. And everybody's going, oh, poor buddy, oh, poor buddy. I was like, wow. It's not, it wasn't sad or anything. It was beautiful. And I was brought to um, understand to repent my sins. And soon as I did it, I was free. The burden has been lifted. And um, I just, I love you, all of you. You're beautiful. You are amazing. God bless you all. Thank you. Bless God you, bless buddy. God. Thank you. Thank you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And so it is. A few more. Adrian, and then I'll come back here to you. And so I, I confess that I still struggle with a lot of unforgiveness. And um, every day I'm asking God to help me with that. It, it can be from things long ago or new things. Um, but for some reason I like to hold on to um, my anger. Um, but also I praise God because um, I am almost three years completely sober. And... That is all God. Um, if you knew me, if you knew me 10 years ago, you would, I would not be here. <laughs> I would not be in this room. Um, and there's, there's no way that I would be singing or anything, being a part of any church. So I thank God that I've been lifted out of that. Thank you. And all God's people said, amen. Okay. Mary? Good morning. Um, I just want to say I am a single parent, and I stress and I struggle. And trying to raise two boys is overwhelming for me as a single parent. My fuse is short sometimes, and I snap. Um, I come here to the church because it gives me the peace and serenity that I need to take another step for me and for my family. But that's the part that really bothers me because I know I shouldn't be that way 
and I should keep holding on to the Lord. But he's testing me and I try to get an A on his test, but it's struggling for me. But if it wasn't for the church, I don't know where I would be at today. I really don't. Unlike the lady right there, I don't know where I would be. The blessing is that he's still holding on to me. And he's telling me every day, take that step. You can do it and don't give up. But I just want to say, I thank God that I'm able to be a part of a new year. And I want to thank my church for giving me the support to keep going on in spite of my battles inside of me. All God's people said. Amen. By the way, there is a certain kind of bravery that it takes to share in this way. And we always hope that this community can be the kind of place where we fully show up to one another. Did you want to share something? And then I'll come back to you. So, uh, we may have time for like two or three more. Okay. So first of all, I want to say thank you to the church. Um, I've never really had a home. Growing up, we moved a lot. And I'm thankful that my friend Carla brought me. She's she's not here right now, but she brought me here. And I live pretty far. I live in Long Beach. Mm. And I have an injury. I have a bad leg. But every Sunday, I get up. And even when I feel really bad, I come home. Because that's what I feel here. Everybody here, Pastor Jay... Um, John Jay, Pastor Lindsay, Mary, they have been so great and so accepting. Cora from the daycare that watches my children. It's just, it's great. I see it in my, in my daughter too. She's also not here, but I, I feel like I'm with my family. I'm home. And for the first time, I don't have to feel like I don't, like, I don't have nowhere to go. It's it's amazing. Thank you. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. And welcome home. We're glad that you're here. Svetlana? Just a simple gratitude. And that is... um, Every day I try to follow Christ. And we have our guideline and what have you. And every day I fail terribly (laughs) um but what i know is that tomorrow i get to try again and that's grace and in spite of the sinner that i am god continues to grace me in ways that amaze me and i am i am grateful for that and that's what keeps me going and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And Clemson won, so thank you, <laughs> Oh, yeah, Mark. And we'll have Mark be the last one here, if that's okay. Mark's in the very back, in case you're wondering where the voice is coming from. I want to thank everybody in the church, because uh, I suffer a lot with bipolar. I have uh, severe anger issues. Um, got put out of a house that I was in, and have now... Uh, found an apartment after eight months with the help of the church. Uh, the church has been my family. Uh, they gave me a job when I needed it. Um, everyone since the first day I came to this church, and I was looking at the ceiling up there, and you explained 
all the history of the church and the stained glasses. Uh, everyone since the first time I came here has treated me like family. And I'm more than grateful and appreciative to everybody here. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. We could go for a while here, right? Um, there are lots of folks who probably were about to put their hand up. And then I said, this is the last one. You put your hand down in sadness. Um, there's this story that I read about a, a man who became a new father first time. And uh, he received a letter from a friend of his. And inside it, all it said at the occasion of his uh, child's birth is that everything is possible again. And there's something about the Christmas story, about God saving us in this unique way, that says to me that everything is possible again. There's more blessing, there is more praise and confession in this room than we have time to share. But the joy and the gift of being together is that we have been given to one another to be stewards of this great narrative, this big story. And week after week and Sunday after Sunday, I get the privilege of standing between your life and God's and listening to that interchange. And I ask that you, as we move into 2019, you continue to find that voice to share with this congregation what it means that God has found you, what it means that you have found a home, what it means that you have found stability and peace. What it means that you struggle still. All of these things. Merry Christmas, everybody. And praise God. Would you pray with me? And we'll continue to sing. God, our very being here is an immensity. And your Showing up in our midst is, well, it's just so much. And when I really take it in, God, and when the folks here really take it in, that you were born into our world, into our condition, into our humanity, it, it's overwhelming and it is so peaceful. And the recognition that what we are suffering through, you know, and the hope that it doesn't have to be this way, it does lighten our shoulders. It's a gift and it's a blessing that allows us to live truly in our struggles and in our joys. So receive now these prayers you've heard of thanksgiving and of confession. Receive them now and tomorrow and the next day. Receive these words that we will sing together and the offerings that we will bring. Thank you for all that you have given. It's more than we could have hoped for. Bring us to awareness over and over again that you are constantly being born into this world and into our struggle. And give us patience to wait for your redemption again. Amen.